Hello everyone and welcome to your Ruby live event. Uh, we're going to have a Q&A session here today uh, talking about uh, cooking for the holidays. Now that we've, um, you know, kind of entered into more of the holiday season um, with uh, in the U.S. at least Thanksgiving and Christmas time and so on. Um, we wanted to take the opportunity today to uh, really kind of do a review around um, cooking and entertaining, uh, sharing food, and then all the things that I think just become uh, important from an ingredient side, a technique side um, around the holiday season. So kind of seasonal cooking, um, the flavors of the of the holiday season, um, kind of rethinking some of those uh, things you might have on your holiday table. Um, you know, uh, we're going to focus a lot today on uh, side dishes and healthier options, uh, things that might kind of uh, change up the standard offerings you might have been putting out on the table for, for many, many years. So I'm going to go ahead right now and just kind of get started on uh, this whole theme around uh, seasonal cooking and holiday cooking and kind of the various um, elements. We get a lot of questions around, you know, entertaining and there's so many elements around uh, how to best prepare yourself for the holiday season um, and even the fall season just more generally around having a, a, a abundance of foods, um, just beautiful fall time foods, the squashes and um, you know, different, uh, you know, green leafy vegetables and root vegetables, um, all these things that are coming in, many of which can be, you know, stored for the wintertime and used throughout uh, the next number of weeks and months. So um, a lot of different things to kind of uh, go through here uh, on this event today. So first thing I just want to kind of jump in and talk about, um, you know, first and foremost, the ingredient set that we see right now. So, um, you know, in, in North America, we've got a really amazing ingredient set right now this time of year kind of october november um all the the fall uh, harvest and kind of beginning to bleed a little bit into the the kind of more wintry vegetables um are just really amazing um you know to work with by this point after the summertime we're all kind of ready if it gets a little cooler ready to kind of be inside a little more and these vegetables tend to be just really um full of depth and um, just kind of richness and, and hearty flavors, and they tend to pair well with, um, you know, I would call it kind of colder weather food. So some of my most favorite vegetables this time of year, my favorite ingredients this time of year, um, the entire family of uh, cruciferous vegetables, uh, I would say most notably things like cauliflower, uh, broccoli, uh, cabbages, all these sorts of things, um, green leafy vegetables, kales, and collard greens and mustard greens, um, arugula, chard, um, all those beautiful green leafies tend to come back in the fall time as well. Really makes a great backdrop for, um, for you know, color and flavor. And then the, the thing that one of the things I love most are just all the, the different winter squashes, the hard squashes. So uh, butternut squash and acorn squash. I've uh, been eating a lot of uh, um, uh, delicata squash, which is really great. It really, um, you know, very simple preparation, essentially just taking out the seeds. You're able to uh, consume the skin because it's very, very soft and very tender. Uh, spaghetti squash also something that I love. Just, you know, um, cut it in half and kind of roast it face down with a little bit of water in a pan. And um, that steam and all that moist cooking on that, uh, spaghetti squash just makes beautiful color, beautiful preparation, a fun texture, um, and just so easy to kind of do it, kind of set it and forget it. Um, and then lastly, all the different um, different root vegetables, turnips and uh, rutabaga, one of my favorites, 
um, and even things like carrots and parsnips and so on, but really kind of those those more unusual ones I always like to focus on um, that people may not be as accustomed to, the turnips and the rutabagas, which for me are just so delicious. If you can find uh, quality products that are, you know, not, not overly waxed or super old or anything like that, but really good quality turnips, um, just make an amazing uh, fall dish and kind of really captures a lot of the flavors of the fall. So that's kind of the um, ingredient set from kind of the, the vegetable point of view. Of course, with the fruit side, you've got all the, the different fall fruits. You've got apples coming in and you've got pears and things. Um, and then, you know, as you move into the winter, you start getting things like citrus and so on being brought into the markets, but not not local to the to the northern climates, but definitely more seasonal when it gets when it gets colder here for us. Um, but, you know, one of the other things around those uh, ingredients, that whole ingredient set um, that you kind of tend to see in the fall time is, you know, think about kind of how they pair and what types of things they pair well with. So I love pairing, um, you know, green leafy vegetables with bold whole grains and with, you know, um, very large kind of rustic cut uh, roasted vegetables and other things like this. So really good to kind of begin to mix and match. Um, use texture and color uh, to build on the flavor that you see with these vegetables. And, you know, one of the things I always like to talk about when it comes to, you know, cooking vegetables more more generally is, um, you know, when it comes to this whole idea around entertaining with vegetables and showcasing uh, the flavor of a season, it's just so, um, it's so nice to be able to uh, present, you know, just Brussels sprouts with one or two other ingredients um, and focusing on technique. So if it's a, a roasted Brussels sprout, um, you know, focusing on the coloration, the texture, the, all the different things that come from roasting properly. But then in terms of other ingredients, you don't, you don't need a lot. It can be a little bit of garlic. It could be sun-dried tomatoes. It could be whatever you want it to be. But um, I guess my point here is keeping the focus um, on that core ingredient versus, uh, you know, when you're making a vegetable side dish, a seasonal side dish, um, you know, putting all kinds of other stuff on it, right? So it's so easy when you're trying to cook and entertain and kind of, you have a lot of things you want to show to want to just keep piling things in. So all of a sudden the Brussels sprouts becomes Brussels sprouts with 14 other uh, things on top. And really just trying to encourage you to, um, to focus on the ingredient, you know, leverage a technique and maybe a few other small ingredients to really let that product, that vegetable, um, do its best work, kind of shine um, and uh, kind of tell its own story. And that way, when you um, create a spread of different uh, side dishes, you could have three or four or five or however many you want, and they each have a very specific kind of point of view and reference and um, becomes very memorable from the point of view of like, that was the Brussels sprouts dish or that was the butternut squash dish or that was this dish as opposed to kind of that um that that laundry list another thing it does when you kind of approach it that way the kind of ingredient plus technique as the focus is it really lets you um begin to experiment and explore more about the sorts of variations you can do so say you have a, a pumpkin dish a roasted pumpkin dish and you want to season that pumpkin with um you know, cumin and chili powder and maybe some garlic and onion and things. And 
maybe create kind of a, a, a Latin American flavor set with it. But you could just as easily take that pumpkin and um, season it like like a North African spice mix, or you could take it to India and have more of a um, an Indian blend, or you could have you know more of a like a Mediterranean maybe with um, you know, sun-dried tomatoes and parsley and lemon and things. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. I just thinking uh, about keeping the focus on that core vegetable on the pumpkin itself, and then you fine-tuning using your own preference to fine-tune. Um, those other pieces, those other kind of parts of the equation that make that dish unique. Um, the other thing I just want to focus on really quickly, just in terms of the overall kind of equation here that I'm talking about. So you've got the ingredients as the first piece, which I already spoke about. Again, like very um, full of flavor, um, dense, um, you know, satisfying types of vegetables. Um, and then you pair it with techniques that can really accentuate and enhance those things. So I love, for instance, in this uh, change of seasons, getting a little bit cooler, I love doing more, um, you know, braising and roasting as an example. So when it comes to vegetables, I'm just a huge fan of roasting them because it does bring out natural sweetness. It kind of draws moisture out. It changes the texture, creates a really good basis also if you wanted to then uh, turn those roasted vegetables into something else like a filling or a soup or a puree or something else. You get a lot of a lot of density of flavor. Uh, so roasted squash, uh, roasted root vegetables, all these things become really great, really easy, um, you know, applying the technique to the product so it really kind of shines. I like using a technique of braising also. This is kind of a combination technique where you might start with um, a dry technique. Maybe you're... Um, sauteing some vegetables, you're getting some uh, some coloration on the product and then you're adding some liquid and then adding your greens or your other veggies and just doing a, a, a slower, lower cooking process with some moisture. And braises are great because they tend to be, um, you know, again, kind of low and slow and you can kind of just have them going in the background or in the oven while something else is cooking. They're a great way to also, um, you know, build moisture on a plate. So if you have some braised greens, let's say, um, that's going to have naturally some liquid. It's going to bring some vibrancy, some uh, kind of a potential sauce element to a plate uh, as well. So I just, I like those techniques. For me, they work really well from the flavor set and also just kind of the, the mode of cooking from being kind of a comfortable perspective. Um, next thing I want to talk about here is just also the um, idea of, of um, holiday time and entertaining and kind of the things it takes um, from a planning perspective to get more comfortable with entertaining. And I know people get um, pretty stressed out um, around entertaining and around the idea of, you know, either inviting people into your home and, and showing them, you know, what you like to cook or bringing food out to a party or having a larger event that maybe you're catering or helping with. Um, there's just always... <laughs> Um, you know, a lot of needless stress around this. And I just wanted to touch on a few points around, you know, planning for the entertaining process, um, just to kind of help, you know, calm you a little bit and help you just kind of refocus your energy on all the things we've been teaching you around mise en place and organization and shopping strategies. And again, just kind of try to bring some of these concepts more full circle and begin to apply them uh, in this way. But 
you know, the first thing is that um, when you're entertaining, you're thinking about this, you want to keep things, um, you want to keep things fun. You want to keep things as stress-free as possible. You want to obviously uh, take it seriously and do your best work, but you don't want this to be uh, an activity where you're kind of nail-biting and kind of just upset with yourself or you're setting yourself up and it becomes a a point of you know extra work and not really pleasure this should be something that you want to do uh, a point of sharing and this this sort of a thing so obviously don't agree to doing events or holiday activities that you don't want to do make the space for yourself uh, you deserve it for yourself to you know only kind of agree to the things you want to do and that way you can focus your attention on those events being really quality and really good versus oh I committed I overcommitted I've got all these things I have to do and then you just sort of um <laughs> you go through them all because you have to not because you want to and that you're doing your your best work or giving your best effort so start start with that um uh, the second thing I'll just kind of encourage is there's nothing um can beat good planning so when you're thinking about doing an event say you're doing an event at your home um you can't over plan for this you need to make sure that you've got um, all the ingredients well in place you've got backups you've got menu ideas and concepts that you can use as a fallback in case something fails or the store doesn't have it or whatever happens right things happen so um create a context of a menu that basically creates a no fail situation for yourself you obviously want to have reach things and you want to be able to like um, you know, show off a bit, but you want to have things that you can absolutely fall back. You know, that will be a crowd pleaser that you can do easily. That's stable. That's not going to be a huge fuss at the end. So kind of build yourself in some buffers with dishes that you know, you can nail that, um, are going to be less finicky, less fussy, less time, uh, intensive. Um, second thing is really, or the third thing I should say is really understand your audience. So when you're, um, building these things, just uh, understand how much food you're preparing, who's eating it, the context of eating. Are they sitting down and having a full uh, service type situation? Or are they standing up and they're intermixing their cocktails and their wine and their small bites and there's tapas being passed and there's other things, there's all this. So consider um, the context of eating, kind of what sort of social situation or setting it is. Uh, and that's going to obviously dictate the portion size and if you need cutlery to eat it and help these other sorts of things so uh, really kind of consider uh, the audience um, you know lastly I would say when it comes to kind of the the planning the whole um, you know it, it's kind of game day you've got all the things set um, people are coming over um, just you know really relax um, focus on the things that you can control not the things that you can't control so if um, people are running late, well, you can't control that. You're going to have food being prepared. You're going to kind of make food when you need to get food out uh, for the guests who are already there. You, you can't control that some people are running late. You can't change your entire menu and your entire timing and sequence for them necessarily. Um, you know, the other piece there is just, you know, be as accommodating to your guests as you can. So if you know that, oh gosh, this crowd doesn't really like this thing, only put out a small amount of that food and focus on the other foods versus saying, well, I made it all. I'm going to serve it all. Um, that can make guests uncomfortable. You really want to be able to kind of understand your audience and give them the foods and the diversity of things that they're, that they're wanting. Um, that's going to be really key.
you know, last thing I would just want to talk about um, with regard to, you know, seasonal cooking and holiday cooking, um, you know, before we get into some of the questions here, is just the whole um, issue around, um, you know, having some other alternatives, some healthy alternatives. You know, so much of what I focus on today in terms of the ingredient base was really an effort to focus on kind of the, the seasonal vegetables, these healthier things that we can have um, as side dishes, um, as, you know, points of interest, I would say, even uh, at the holiday table. And there's nothing better than the vast array, the sort of great array of um, of colors and textures and flavors that you get from vegetables. And to me, it's probably the most important, uh, exciting and um, uh, uh, important part of the holiday table because it's kind of the things that people go, wow, I wasn't expecting that, or wow, that was really a very, very cool recipe. I hadn't seen that before. Or, Gosh, that's such a better version of um of that type of a thing that i've ever had my grandmother would overcook it or my mom would um not cook it long enough or whatever it is and you can really kind of really show off some of these things so using vegetables using um healthier options and making it so that these options are just you know really beautiful really delicious um very craveable and you know, importantly, also make you feel good afterwards when you eat. So, uh, don't go into the holiday season. Um, don't you know? Go don't go into this um, thinking that oh gosh, it's the season where I have to eat all these foods that uh, are going to be very heavy or make me feel sick, or I'm not going to be able to move after dinner and all this sort of thing. I'd really much rather when you're entertaining that the food um, invigorates you, that it's delicious but also, you know, leaves you feeling like you want more, not like you've always had way too much. So, um, you know, kind of consider that in the mix when you're when you're planning for your for your holiday table. I always tell people that those healthier, less rich dishes just means you can have another serving. It also makes you really appreciate um, those richer, um, you know, special, more comforting foods in a different way. You actually get satisfied um, by eating a lot less of them. So I'm not going to say don't eat those foods. Absolutely, you should enjoy yourself. But um, by adding some of these other things onto the holiday table, by adding them onto your plate, you're able to you know, crowd out some of those other things that you just know you shouldn't be eating too much of, uh, especially during during the holiday time. So I'm going to go ahead, uh, ahead now and get into uh, some of the questions that we have here. Of course, Turmeric is great too. So yeah, we've been talking a little bit about um, you know flavoring elements and things like this. And you know, absolutely during the the holiday season, there's going to be some you know uh, spices, some things that you're just going to be uh, wanting to use more than others. And if you know if turmeric is one of those things, it's absolutely wonderful. I love using turmeric when I'm cooking you know foods from North Africa, from India. Um, just a really great um, you know not just addition of color, but really really interesting kind of base of flavor. Uh, I always get confused about how to use the oven cooking times for so many dishes and or casseroles, especially when I only have one oven uh, suggestions. So, you know, very good question. So, of course, you know, most people just have one oven. And when you put it uh, when you put it on, you're going to set it for 350 degrees Fahrenheit or something thereabouts. And, you know, the question of like, well, I've got multiple things I need to cook. They all have to um, be done around the same time because we're all going to eat at the same time. And um, maybe they require different temperatures, maybe not. Um, but there's different timing considerations for each. So really, the thing around using the oven is kind of understanding 
well, which of those things can be eaten um, not quite piping hot, right? So things like pies and such, you want to have cooled enough to eat. They don't come out of the oven and you just dig in. So certain things you can make in advance knowing that they can either sit because they have to cool or they can sit and retain just enough heat uh, to still be good to eat at your meal, right? And a lot of things that come out of the oven are going to be able to retain a lot of heat um, depending on what they are. So if you're making a casserole and um, you have a way to you know, cook it and then hold it warm while something else that maybe is smaller is cooking, absolutely take the casserole out, let it sit on top of your oven or on, on, the, on top of the stove. And if you need to put something else in and finish cooking it, that casserole is going to retain a lot of its core temperature, especially if it's covered, and you'll be fine for 20 minutes or 30 minutes until you need to serve it. Um, wouldn't go too much past that, but you, you're not going to eat it right out of the oven anyway. So you're going to want to make sure that you have a appropriate timing for for uh, for cooling and things. Um, but really, it just comes down to planning using multiple racks. If you've got two or three racks in your oven, you can put um, multiple things in there, three or four or five, six things, even depending on how, how large they are. And I would just say it's about managing that space, pulling things out, putting them in, and then knowing that, you know, certain foods will be able to sit for longer or shorter, depending on how much mass they have and how much heat they hold, uh, and also the vessel or the container that they're being, that they're being held in. Uh, question, do you typically roast veggies in the pan itself versus lining with foil or parchment? So yeah, I almost always use um, a silpat or parchment when I'm roasting, um, just in terms of cleanup and preparation and ease of use, um, having a parchment liner just makes a lot of sense. Uh, for stocks and broths, when using a cooked carcass, turkey, do you supplement uh, fresh bones? So good question. If, you, um, if you're making a stock using you know, turkey bones and this sort of thing from like a, a leftover Thanksgiving turkey. Um, if you want to substitute um, or supplement, I should say, rather with extra bones, you certainly can, but you're going to have enough um, mass, enough weight from that carcass that you'll be able to make a, a stock. Um, you know, not a huge batch of stock. And obviously, if you want to make more, you can supplement uh, using roasted chicken bones or chicken bones. Um, but absolutely, I mean, you'll get um, a fair amount of stock out of that, out of that turkey carcass. But um, if you want to make more volume or have a more gelatinous stock, a more flavorful or richer stock, then you absolutely want to add, add those products. Uh, what should I make as a meat alternative for the vegetarian or for the one vegetarian for uh, Christmas turkey dinner? So, you know, I love, we do a lot of uh, vegetarian and vegan cooking here at our house, and I love presenting people with just a really outstanding kind of centerpiece uh, type uh, product. One of the things that we like to do is just a whole roasted cauliflower. It makes a beautiful presentation, um, really kind of stunning presentation. It makes that vegetarian feel like they've had something beautiful prepared for them. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, most of the people at the table are going to want to eat that also. So <laughs> it's pretty stunning. There's other kinds of, you know, more center of their plate feeling things, either making, you know, tempeh cutlets and other sorts of things. Um, but there's lots and lots of dishes that you can make that would be, you know, very, very satisfying for uh, a vegetarian as a, as a main dish. Uh, how can I enhance the flavor of store-bought stock? Um, now, I would, if you bought stock and you're not happy with it, um, number one, I'd just make a note not to buy that brand again. Um, making stock obviously gives you a lot more control and the, the flavoring of it and 
you know, just kind of the overall flavor complex. But if you had to, you know, augment a stock or adjust a stock, I would just take it, add whatever, whatever vegetables you felt it needed, onions or celery or carrots or all the above, and simmer those vegetables in that stock. Just kind of pretend it was a starting point with water and you're simply sort of um, adding additional flavor by infusing it with more uh, simmered cut vegetables, you know, simmer it for 90, 90 minutes or so. I need to push the easy button for a Thanksgiving meal. No full turkey, just the breasts and eat advice. So yeah, I mean, this is super simple. If you're just roasting a, a turkey breast, it's going to be very easy to do. Um, obviously season it, give it all the whatever um, attention from an exterior seasoning point of view. Um, whatever you'd like to do, it could be very simple, just salt and pepper, whatever else you want. And just make sure it's you know elevated on a roasting rack still. And you're going to roast that until it's about 160 degrees internal temperature. And I would just do that um, just in a hot oven, a convection oven at, you know, 350 or 375. Um, very simply, make sure you let it rest before you slice it. But that's going to be a very um, easy thing to do. It's basically just um, just like uh, like roasting any other uh, like simple piece of meat. That's going to be fairly uniform in size and so on. Uh, convection oven isn't really that much better. Um, you know, when I have a choice, I use convection almost exclusively. Um, it's just a really great, easy, mechanical way to ensure more even temperature and more even browning and to increase uh, cooking speed. So I absolutely love it. Any tips on reducing stress of having non-cooks cooks help with large holiday meals? I want to encourage it. So I think the best way to uh, kind of decrease stress for people that you want to have help in the kitchen, but you don't want to like give them overwhelming tasks is help them by doing some of the pre-prep. So giving them the task of, hey, I need five onions diced, or I need three onions diced, or um, hey, maybe you give them the onions already diced and all they have to do is sweat it and stir it and give them that one kind of responsibility but break it out into tasks help them do mise en place have other mise en place already done so they're responsible for all of it but just find those things that you know um, are going to help that person be successful right so if you know that they're going to be perfectly capable of peeling carrots give them all the carrots to peel give them all the button mushrooms to wash um, let them stir the pot when the vegetables are sweating um, give them those tasks that you know you don't have to provide that much detail or that if it doesn't happen exactly the right way it's not going to mess up the entire the entire dish uh what is the usual time for grading submissions are you running a bit behind i have some that are five days yeah so typically we try to get in around three days we have some weeks where we just get a huge volume where it might go down to uh five days or so so chris if you ever have questions about that you're hitting the five day mark um you can go ahead and you know contact us directly or just sit tight um, you know, often, oftentimes we just hit, uh, like a big, uh, chunk of, uh, assessments all at once on like a, a Sunday or a Monday and it kind of goes through the week and we have to, uh, cycle through and get it and get through all those assessments. So we've got, um, a few big classes now finishing up. So I appreciate your patience. Maybe I missed it during the last live session, but what does Ruby stand for? So Ruby, um, doesn't actually stand for anything. It's just a, a name, um, Starts with the word roux as the base, which of course you know as um, that fat and starch base for thickener. Uh, but it's not an acronym or anything like that. Uh, next question, is there an advantage to brining a turkey? So yeah, the question around brining meats is great. I would say, 
you know, um, absolutely check out the lesson around brining in terms of what it does to meat, in terms of giving it more uh, of the salinity and the flavoring and the seasoning that comes with that additional um, moisture that you're able to add. And absolutely, if you um, brine properly, you're going to put yourself in a position to build flavor, to build moisture, to have uh, a higher yield uh, on the cooked product. So, um, you know, my only kind of word of caution around brining is just making sure you don't add too much salt and too much sugar. You want to make sure you actually um, brine with a proper proportion um, because you don't want to overly salt uh, or make that uh, meat too sweet. It's got to kind of find the right balance. So if it's your first time doing it, I would err on, you know, less is more. And uh, that's going to give you a much, much better um, uh, outcome. Next question, just joined in, thinking of cooking game for Christmas, wild turkey, goose, uh, 225 Fahrenheit. So a lot of these game birds, especially things like goose, I would say, not so much in the wild uh, turkey category, but things like goose um, or pheasant that have just a huge amount of uh, external fat, not a huge amount of internal intramuscular fat, but they tend to have these very, very fatty exteriors, um, even some types of duck. Um, Absolutely, on these types of uh, game birds, you're going to want to make sure that you score um, the skin so that you allow for some draining of the fat. And you also want to make sure that you, um, like you're uh, indicating here, that you're cooking uh, in a low oven such that you're able to render slowly a lot of that fat off the bird. And then oftentimes what you do is you finish to crisp in a much, much hotter oven to create that um, that texture on the outside. But rendering as much of that um fat as you can um, slowly without overcooking that bird, kind of using that fat to essentially base the meat is going to be an important part of that overall uh, uh, concept there. Another piece of this is when you're um, you know, thinking about cooking game, I always tell people that, um, you know, so much of the uh, accompaniments and the way you kind of season it um, just depends on personal preference. So some people really like to have that intenseness, the gaminess. They do very little on the seasoning side. If they're brining, they're going to use, again, a salt, uh, sugar type solution, maybe some aromatics and citrus and things. Um, and then oftentimes you see in terms of uh, sauces, you see sweetness and acidity being brought in, uh, again, to kind of uh, counteract or play with some of the deeper gamey kind of um, uh, you know, kind of earthy flavors that you sometimes get from uh, the minerals and the blood and these sorts of things within those those products. So you see the the use of fruit sauces and compotes uh, to get that uh, balance, that kind of sweet sour uh, balance to offset those those deeper flavors. So sounds really good. Well, it looks like it does it uh, for today's live event. Just really again wanted to thank all of you for participating today. It's always such a pleasure to get all of you together in a live event, um, see what kinds of questions you have and to be able to answer your questions um, very directly. Uh, of course, we're always here to support you in your course. So if you've got other things you wanna discuss, you can use your uh, task level uh, questions and discussion. You can always uh, email us directly. Uh, we're always happy to, to help you. So until next time, we look forward to seeing you in class and uh, take care, happy cooking.